1: And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, here to let you know that my podcast, Next Question
0: with me, Katie Couric, is back for its second season. I'll be diving into some big issues like this country's devastating maternal mortality rate, the rise of astrology, and a little thing called the presidential election. Listen to Next Question. It comes out every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows.
2: Hey, this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. We're continuing the conversation around role overload, that feeling of wearing too many hats, of trying to be everything to everyone, that psychological experience that can really easily lead to overwhelm, burnout, disengagement, and stress. We've talked through this work-life balance kind of conversation by unpacking role overload from a variety of angles already. We've talked with Tiffany Dufu about working motherhood. We've talked with Liz O'Donnell about being a working daughter with aging parents to care for. And today, we want to give a shout out to all the single ladies. (laughs) We're two single ladies ourselves. We're childless and marriage-less and... We heathens want work-life balance, too. (laughs) Gosh darn it.
3: Yeah. I always hate how work-life balance is sort of presented, first of all, just as a thing for women, but also a thing for women who have families. Just because I don't have kids or a spouse or a husband doesn't actually mean that these things aren't important to me, that I don't have things in my life that I need to prioritize and balance. Just because I'm a single woman doesn't mean that these things don't show up in my life.
2: Exactly. And I think we often leave single women out of this conversation because the struggle is real for working parents and the struggle is real for workers with aging parents to care for. Caretaking is no easy feat, but being childless or child-free in the United States still comes with different roles and responsibilities that we play to others in our lives. So it doesn't mean you can't experience role conflict if you don't have familial obligations and those sort of traditional markers of womanhood uh, to contend with.
3: But that's the thing. Even if you don't have children, you still have familial relationships, right? Like, yeah, I still focus on being a good sister, a good daughter. All of these family responsibilities still show up in my life just because I don't have a kid in yeah. the mix doesn't mean that I don't still have a lot of obligations, you know, involving my family.
2: You mean you have a life outside of work?
3: I do have a life outside of work. What, what, how dare you, Bridget?
2: How audacious. So it's real. And I would argue that if we make family leave or workplace flexibility only available to women who are moms or only available to those with aging parents or those with uh, caretaking responsibilities— we actually sidetrack those workers and we do us all a disservice. We should make that the norm. And here in the United States, we've had kind of a long, fraught relationship with the concept of being a woman who is child-free. Not wanting children has slowly become more recognized as a legitimate choice, but it wasn't always, quite frankly. There used to be a lot more shade and judgment brought to that choice in someone's life, and I would say there's still a lot of judgment.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say, maybe we've gotten better at this and made some progress in terms of how we think about people who are childless by choice, but I don't think that we're there yet at all. I have plenty of friends, most of whom are female, who... Say, you know, I don't want kids. I'm child free by choice. It's just not my thing. And all the time they talk about how everyone says you'll change your mind one day. Wait till you get to be a certain age, blah, blah, blah. I actually have a friend who's documented her attempts to get her tubes tied so that she could not have children. And so many doctors out there flat out refuse to do this procedure for her because they say, Oh, I don't want to do this now when you're young, when you're in your thirties because you're going to come back to me in two years and change your mind. And she's like, no, I'm not. I've made a choice. Nobody seems to believe that she has made a life choice to be childless on her on her own accord.
2: Yeah, it's a very weird relationship that our society has with that. And honestly, this conversation around being a single woman and wanting work-life balance applies to women who eventually want children as well as those who've made that choice. that Children is just not for them. Laura Carroll writes in Fortune magazine, people don't have children for many reasons. People want children and are childless because they're waiting to find the right relationship before having them. Others are in a relationship and childless due to fertility issues. Still others end up with no children after saying no to another round of IVF or adoption. Whether child-free or childless, we still have a ways to go when it comes to society accepting those with no children without judgment or stigma. And this lack of acceptance, she says, has played out in the workplace.
3: Well, that's unquestionably true. I also love that she actually unpacks the various reasons that someone would be childless. Some people have made a choice to be child-free, and that's their thing. Some people want children but are having trouble, you know, conceiving. Basically, it's one of those things where we assume we know what the situation is, but it can be any number of situations. And whatever that situation is, we need to have workplace principles that allow for folks who don't have children to still have the flexibility they need.
2: Exactly. And we've actually seen childlessness rise steeply from the 1970s to about 2005. Thank you, birth control. Okay, shout out to birth control. It's since declined again since 2005. And Ohio State University sociologist Sarah Hayford found that a decline in marriage rates contributed most to the rise in childlessness. She writes, quote, getting married can change people's minds about having kids. To some, marriage means having children. So I'm entering this married world and taking on other things that go along with it. In fact, they cited a reader who said, I've always said that I never knew I wanted children until I knew I wanted children with him.
3: Her experience seems to really reflect some other women out there. 15% of women never have kids, but most of us start out agnostic. They say, oh, I don't know if I want kids. I haven't met the right guy. Who knows? We'll see. I think that really shows how kids or the choice to have kids or not can really play out in women's lives.
2: And I feel like the... LGBTQ community, that whole conversation has changed dramatically since totally. the passage of marriage equality. And it's still not very easy for gay couples to have kids, right? We still don't make it e- as easy as it should be for all folks to have access to adoption or to whatever solution is right for them. Um And so it's just, I think it's important to keep in mind that whether you're choosing or not really choosing to not have children or to not pursue marriage— Um, that shouldn't dictate how the workplace sees and values your time, your talents, and your life outside of work.
3: Absolutely. When I was teaching, I used to have this little fantasy. So when you're teaching at college, you don't often have the best schedules. And I sort of got the vibe that if you were a parent, then you were always given the best schedules. You know, you were in the, you were there in the mornings and you were gone by the afternoon. And as a childless heathen, (laughs) I always got the classes that were like meeting at seven to nine, like late night classes. And I started to think, if I invented a kid, if I was like, oh, you guys missed it, I had a, had a child, I, I got to get home, would my schedule improve? And so I used to have this fantasy where I <laughs> toyed with the idea of inventing a child just so I could see if I would get a better teaching schedule.
2: Totally. That Fortune article I referenced earlier, the author goes on to say that, you know, typically what non-parents do with their personal time has been viewed as not, quote, important as parent time. And there's also this common assumption, she writes, that with no kids, people must have a lot of free personal time, and the work-life balance conversation doesn't really apply to them. As Melanie Notkin, author of Otherhood, Modern Women Finding a New Kind of Happiness, puts it, quote, it's rare that childless workers are thought to have a life outside of work. So what's balance, some may think.
3: Yeah, I mean not to keep bringing up this experience, but never in my life have I ever felt so acutely aware of how true that is than when I was teaching. Most of the folks I was teaching with were a bit older than me, so a lot of them did have husbands, wives, and kids. And at the time, I was still sort of figuring out my life. I was teaching and also studying at night for the LSATs. I had a lot going on, but it was just assumed that all I was doing with my time was going to the bar with my friends and, like, living this, you know, frivolous life of Netflix and Cosmopolitans or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with a life like that. It actually sounds awesome. But I was grinding. I was hustling. I was busy. I was taking night classes. I was teaching. I was doing a lot. I just felt like what I was doing never got the same recognition because I didn't have kids in the mix.
2: Yeah, I almost think, like, it's important to acknowledge that, you know what? My yoga class at 6 p.m. is important to me. And your dinner at home with the fam is important to you. Can we mutually respect that? Can we be okay with not expecting single, childless women to pick up the slack because we are assumed to not have obligations or important things to do with our life outside of work?
3: Absolutely. I think it really goes back to this idea of what our lives at home are assumed to look like. Just like an excuse for paying women less is that they have a husband at home who can take care of them and they're just working for extra money to buy hats and lipsticks or something. These ideas that we put on other people based on their gender for no reason, that Mm. have no bearing on how their lives actually are.
2: Absolutely. Well, I'm really excited to dive deeper into this conversation with you, Bridget. We also have an incredible guest I can't wait to introduce you all to after a quick break and a word
0: from our sponsors. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great
1: about their hair. And Sundays on NBC, watch
0: it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises.
1: So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone. The all-new, all-hilarious season of
0: Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. And we are back, sminty
2: listeners, and we are talking through role conflict and role overload as it pertains to single ladies what does it look like for us childless partnerless you know marriage less folks to also dare to pursue that elusive thing called work life balance and today to talk through this issue with us we are so lucky to be joined by Julia Carpenter a journalist and writer who you might know from her extensive writing on women and money for CNN money and like Bridget and I she's a single childless gal uh, who's been writing a lot lately about sexual harassment in the workplace. That is a topic, Bridget, you know, is all too near and dear.
3: Oh, we get into it. <laughs>
2: Especially on this podcast. And actually, currently, you should know that Julia is collecting stories about how conversations are changing around harassment in the workplace and how mothers and daughters have found ways to share their experiences with one another. So we're really thrilled to have you, Julia, here as a fellow woman in the workplace type expert to join us in talking through this uh, this topic today, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So we've been unpacking some of the ways in which single women can feel left out of the work-life balance conversation. How have you seen that come up in your work?
4: Yeah, I think I think one of the issues is just the phrase work-life balance is so loaded. Uh, it comes with so many stereotypes as well as misconceptions, you know, you can't ever really balance the two and it makes them sound like they're totally separate entities. And there's so many different times where one takes precedent over the other, other becomes more important, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing I thought was so interesting when I started researching this is that it's a phrase that's becoming even more important to younger women.
2: Exactly. That's why we've loved breaking this down from the angle of role overload and looking at how the different hats that we wear as women and as people in our lives and at work can sometimes leave us feeling conflicted and pulled in a lot of different directions. But I guess the conflict comes when you don't have the traditional roles that women are
4: expected to have, right? Yeah. That's one of the issues when we say work and life balance, because work is life. Life does come to work. There's no like clear way to compartmentalize all of these things, or at least the vast majority of people have a hard time defining it that way.
3: And I think that's so right because life and work are one and the same. You don't, when you go into the office, you don't like right. leave your life at the office door. It shows up. You know, you're talking to your mom, you're talking to your kid, whatever, whatever the case may be. I think we push this narrative that when you go into your workplace, you're leaving who you actually are at the door. And that's never been the case. And we shouldn't have workplace policies that seem to suggest that employees are these robots that don't have feelings and lives outside of work and worries and stressors and hobbies and all of that that also come into the workplace with them.
4: Totally. And I think this is especially a challenge for younger women who are first entering the workforce. So their first job really sets their expectations for what work life balance if we're going to call it that even looks like or what a typical workday looks like or what even you know workplace culture is so i think when we talk to younger women about this too and you you hear all these pieces of advice like you know leave personal life at the door or don't talk about work over cocktails like those aren't really realistic expectations
2: exactly and also the the modern workplace feels much more hyper-connected and fluid than ever before yeah and I don't know about y'all, but when I graduated, I had mastered the domain of how to get an A and how to perform with a rubric and how to, you know, there was some kind of a feedback loop at the end of a semester in which people were gonna maybe not.
3: I never went to class, so I I don't, <laughs> I don't even know what you're. R- I'm getting r- rubric? a rubric. <laughs> Great. I don't know. I'm, Syll- I'm not familiar. Mm.
2: <laughs> but this idea of like having a syllabus that says, here's how to perform and get yeah. rewarded. And then yeah. you enter the workplace and it's this amorphous, like, array of competing biased perceptions that will dictate your rise or lack thereof. And no one yeah. knows when it's done. When, it, when When is enough enough? And for single people who aren't forced to have hard boundaries that they've put down on behalf of a child or on behalf of a caring for a parent or obligations for other people. I think women especially have trouble drawing healthy boundaries just because they deserve them.
4: I was saying yeah so much just because I was connecting so much with what you were saying. (laughs) And also because anecdotally, I've heard so much from younger women that there is this expectation when you get to the workplace that it will it will mirror a clear roadmap that especially in corporate workplaces, you know, you have your nine to five, you have your boss and then her manager and you look at the hierarchy and you have your check ins and your monthly reports like there are all these different goals that you expect to check off the list. But there's a really good book by, uh, I'm forgetting the author's name at the moment, but I'll send it to you guys. There's this really good book called Hiding in the Bathroom. It's about being an introvert at work also and talking about how for introverts, work-life balance looks different. Maybe you need a work from home day or you need to not go to the company cocktail party or whatever. Like there are all these different ways to set those boundaries for you that it becomes even harder when you're a woman and there's so much pressure to be seen as likable. Like one of the things I've been finding in my research about women and work is that likability is so important for women when it comes to negotiating raises, talking about promotions. There's this pressure to be seen as the ideal employee or to be liked by everyone. And that can really lead to you, you know, working yourself into <laughs> into a 9 p.m. leave time when maybe that's the expectation that you put on yourself.
2: Yes. And I, mean, I think we've been socialized as girls and women to perfect – perform and please everyone mm-hmm. else around us
4: and mm-hmm. pleasing
2: everyone else around you is actually not what's going to yield that executive presence impression. It's not going to yield like a, Oh, I think she's a boss or I think she can lead this project. Sometimes being assertive and this is me getting on my bossed up soapbox. Cause this is
3: what I do. You never,
2: but it really is like being assertive means protecting boundaries with empathy, but also standing up for yourself And
3: that is part of being a leader. But as women, we're not told that having boundaries is okay. If you try to set boundaries, people guilt you, people make it seem like you're, a you know, not a nice person. But actually, it just shows the way that we've been kind of trained and socialized to think about everybody else's concerns over our own. Especially as single women.
4: Well, and there are also negative consequences to setting boundaries. Like, we can't ignore that. You know, there are perceptions of women in the workforce that say, you know, women who ask for more time off or ask for more flexible work hours are penalized. There was one study particularly that was looking at leave time that again I think is so important because it's something younger women especially struggle with so much. You know, when is it okay to leave the office? When is it okay to leave and I look like I've worked hard enough or, you know, I've proven my worth at being able to leave at 5.30 instead of at 7. But there was one study that showed that even when women left earlier in the day as opposed to men leaving earlier in the day, they were seen as not working as hard as the men. Uh. Yeah. It's <laughs> That's so it's depressing.
0: So, it's so, it's dep-
4: so depressing, but it's not surprising. Like it it just shows that these fears that we have are somewhat grounded oh, yeah. totally.
2: in a reality. Totally. Um
4: one of the things I did want to mention just because I think it's so salient to our conversation is that I totally agree with you, Emily, like talking about this more, being more aware of it is key to even being able to to recognize what works for you and what makes you a better employee. And there's all kinds of conversations women can have with their bosses or their managers to say flexible work hours work for me in X, Y, Z ways. I'm more productive in these ways. You know, look at my results on this way. But one of the things I thought was so interesting in that same study I mentioned that said uh, younger women are valuing work-life balance more and more and talking about it more and more is that when women were asked, does uh, does your work life significantly interfere with your personal life? It went down for women the more they progressed in their careers. So women at the start of their careers were actually more likely to say, yes, my work life definitely interferes with my personal life than women who were already established in their careers, which is kind of contrary to What we were talking about. You know, people see single women, young women, women just starting out in their jobs as perfectly balancing those two things because they don't have a partner at home or they don't have a family at home. But it's actually the opposite. Like, as women become more established in their careers, they're better able to define those boundaries or better able to set up those conversations about what works for them. Let's talk about that because
2: there's actually a case to be made um, that. A couple different uh, articles that we've uncovered throughout this research have been making that single women workers have it harder. You know, there's a quote here in the Wall Street Journal that says, without a partner to help, singles must get the laundry done, get to the gym, buy groceries, and get to the job. And so as more young adults are delaying marriage into their 30s, like all of us here, I'm not to predict when any of that's happening, um, but career demands are intensifying, many increasingly feel overloaded and set high expectations for themselves. I have to admit... When I was reading this, oh, poor single people piece, like we have it so tough, I was kind of laughing out loud a little bit, because I don't think being single and have to make your own ramen noodles is harder
3: than being a parent. Okay, so I actually read that and was like, oh, that's my life, right? (laughs) I mean, I get it. I'm sure a lot of parents out there are saying, Bridget, come on, like your single (laughs) life is not the same as my life trying to keep... A tiny human alive. And I get that. That's fair. But think about this, right? Most of my life, I'm a single woman. For most of my life, I've been pretty much on my own, right? I'm also a queer woman. And so I think that we have an entire different understanding of partnerships and marriage and being, you know, booed up for life and all of that. And I, I read that and that really resonated with me because, listen, when the cable person comes from Comcast... I'm the one who has to be there to let them in, right? When the landlord has to fix something in the apartment, I have to be there. When my apartment's a mess and I'm on my own, I can't just count on the fact that someone is going to say, oh, she's having a rough time, let me clean for her. All of that stuff in my life, I have outsourced the f*** out of. Between Seamless, Postmates, handy book to have my apartment cleaned. Yeah. I'm actually paying, I mean, part of it is like, I have the privilege to be able to do these things, but my life only makes sense when I'm on my own because I have enough capital to be able to outsource a lot of things that right. I think boot up people who have husbands or wives or spouses ha- can sort of sort out themselves domestically. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. It, it does. I'm curious to hear what you think, Julia.
3: Where do you lie on yeah, this?
4: Yeah, no, I'm so torn because... On the one hand, I've never had a screaming baby at home and I can't imagine what it's like to have an entire human life dependent on you outside of your work life. But on the other hand, it's undeniable that having a partner, being able to rely on a partner for those things and being able to talk about your family with Your job makes it feel easier to take that time, Uh, especially when we see single women talking to their bosses or their managers about what they need, you know, whether it be flexible work hours, more paid time off. Like all of these things are they make a less convincing argument because we've been socialized to think that work life balance means more time for your family. If you don't have a family, you don't need more time.
2: And that I agree with completely. I think from a perception standpoint, it's a much easier case to draw boundaries when you can say this is, you know, for my kids or this is for my maybe aging parent. I don't know. I think Liz O'Donnell really um, on that episode really made me think twice about whether our society even feels like that's a valid reason to take time off. But I mean, I don't think society is down with women taking care of themselves. No, definitely
3: (laughs) not. Definitely not. Um, side note, one of the reasons I'm really excited to one day have a kid is to have a ready-made excuse to get out of everything. <laughs>
2: the kid card. Because if
3: you're like, oh, my kid's got a thing, it's like, everyone's like, okay, we get it, we get it, right? Like, <laughs> particularly for men, I think. Um, and so the idea of being able to say, oh, I can't come to your yeah. boring play because my kid has a thing, and just having that be accepted, I I'm know. looking forward to that.
2: I just feel like the the trade-offs that women with kids have to contend with are in some ways harder, because the perception of any mother at work is that she's distracted and less dedicated and and, uh, put on the mommy track. So I feel like it it actually doesn't serve us (laughs) to say, like, whose work-life balance is more valid? You know, I think if we can actually have this conversation around, guess what? We all deserve life outside of work. We all will be better and more efficient if we can have systems and structures that make flexibility and autonomy and, and leave accessible and practically usable by all workers, then it doesn't become an anomaly when a parent has to
4: use their time
2: off. It doesn't
4: become a mommy thing. It's funny because I was researching a story not too long ago about the benefits women most want in a workplace. So I was looking at benefits and perks especially. And because so many perks have this like Glitzy allure, you know, like sexy Silicon Valley workplaces have flying nannies or, you know, free cafeterias or like all expenses paid,
3: everything. Flying nannies? Yeah, what? Like with wings?
4: No, it's a real, it's a real phenomenon where they will have nannies on call and they're called flying nannies. (laughs) i what? know
2: is this like mary poppins branded because i i can <laughs> yes. see the app already right, you
4: have an sure umbrella
2: that that descending across your iphone screen. yeah
4: it's like
3: mary poppins <laughs> meets uber
4: yeah <laughs> no literally, yes, I'm sure that that illusion was at the forefront of their minds I love um it. but i was but I was looking into this, and I was expecting those to be really highly rated and it's kind of not surprising to see that what women rated most highly instead was number one respect from their colleagues, which is like such low-hanging fruit, but is the thing they they most highly prize. Number two, pay parity. Uh, You know, they really just want to be paid the same as their male colleagues. But then flexibility kept coming up again and again. Like women would rather have more pay time off and more flexible work hours than any of these other perks or benefits we think are so important. I think that's such a
2: good point. And this really hilarious, sardonic, sarcastic article that Cassie Murdoch wrote for Jezebel titled, Work-Life Balance Isn't Just for Moms. All the single ladies want it, too. In it, she writes, I know this is very difficult to understand, but according to the Wall Street Journal, even people without children enjoy time away from work. Yeah, it's weird, right? They get sick of slaving away for endless hours at work to the exclusion of all social activities. They don't even have enough time to get their dishes done or cook themselves proper meals. In the words of Anne-Marie Bowler, a lawyer who quit a draining job at a big law firm and started her own firm with a friend, quote, I wanted to have a life, a full life, which just meant not always working. Bowler is 36 and single, and frankly, it sounds like she's still working an awful lot. It's just on her own terms, which makes a difference.
4: The your own terms part, I think is so important. Like as more women talk about work-life balance too, I think what we're really wanting to talk about is control because I've already talked about how I think that phrase is so problematic on so many levels, blah, blah, blah. But what we, what we really want is control. Like when we're saying work-life balance, we want work-life balance. We want work-life fit. We want work-life integration. We really just want to have a little bit more of a Hold on how these two things dominate our lives
3: I love how you use control to frame that because in a lot of these conversations, it sounds like flexible work hours and all of that it's like a gift that your employer is giving you rather than this you know established cultural norm that makes everything better in the workplace all right and it, yeah, all right, and I think yeah, it's about control. I don't want to have to feel like I have to grovel to my boss to get flexible time to take care of the stuff I need to in my life just to be a ha- just to show up as a happy, functional employee. And I think framing it as, "Oh, you have to go to your boss and ask for this thing" as opposed to saying, "No, you should be able to take control over both your personal life and your work life and that should just be yeah. the norm of how we show up as employees."
2: It's almost as though y'all predicted the findings in a recent McKinsey & Company study of 60 companies that they did for the Wall Street Journal. And what was most interesting is that amongst women who were planning to leave their companies in the next few years, they found really similar reasons cited by both mothers and non-mothers. And it was a desire to gain more control over their personal schedules and needs. Mm. So I think you hit the nail on the head. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into how this actually plays out at organizations across the country and what we can do to make sure that single women aren't left out of this conversation moving forward. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors.
0: Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair.
2: back, and we are having way too much fun with Julia Carpenter here, a writer you might know from her excellent pieces for CNN Money, breaking down all things women, work, and finance. And so we wanted to continue this conversation about, do single women have it tough? Like, do single women really struggle with work-life balance or work-life integration or fit or all the other better ways to talk about it, um, as we've been really framing this around role conflict and role overload? And we were just getting into a little debate on the break here about what we think our mother listeners, the the folks who are listening to this podcast with a baby in their arms right now, might think about a bunch of single, childless women whining about right. not having a baby card to play to flake on our obligation. Hey,
3: that's my personal thing. Listen, <laughs> I everyone who knows me knows I'm a notorious flake on social plans. All I'm saying is that When I say I'm not going to your party because I'm under a blanket watching Netflix, all I get is shady texts. If I said I'm not going to your party because I have a child, I'm just saying go to help me up my flight game. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) What do you think about that, Julia?
4: No, I mean, I I was just thinking, well. While we were talking about that earlier, like, I'm going to listen to this when I am a mom and, you know, kind of kind of shake my head like I can see my mom shaking her head at me all the time where she's just like, you don't know. Get ready. Like the world is coming. (laughs) But, you know, it was telling
2: that research you referenced earlier, Julia, that over the course of women's careers, the sense yes. of autonomy does seem to increase. And I've got two theories I want to posit for that and hear what y'all think. One, I actually heard this message from Joanna Coles, the former editor-in-chief of Glamour Magazine, um, say one time that as your career grows, as your power grows, your power over your own work-life increases. And mm-hmm. so we shouldn't tell women to not pursue ambitious career paths because it Means you'll be overwhelmed, we should say pursue an ambitious career path because you'll have power over how you work so that's that's one theory i don't know what do you, what do y'all think of that
3: I don't know about that. I like the idea in theory. I guess i don't feel like we should necessarily be telling women to look for any one kind of career if it's not what they want right like not every woman wants an assertive high octane career path that's true, and I think that if we tell women that one pathway to having more control over your work and your life and how they intersect is by going out there and striving for a high-octane career that might not suit everybody. So I think it's probably true, but I just want to posit that it's true for some— maybe it's just one tool in a toolbox of how we reach something that, frankly, should be a norm for all of us.
2: Wouldn't it be better if it were an expected norm? Like, my mom's a labor and delivery nurse. She works shift work, right? Twelve-hour shifts Mm. at a time at a hospital— And she has very little control over when she works. She has very little control over when she gets vacation. And so there's definitely a class component to this, which is maybe retail workers should have the same right to autonomy over their schedule as podcasters. You know what I mean? Like, if we all could feel like that was an expected norm, then we wouldn't have to tell women, pursue the most powerful career path possible.
3: Well, absolutely. That takes me back to when Netflix announced this really great family leave policy for their employees. And everybody was like, great, that's awesome. And I was one of them. But then somebody was like, wait, does this include people who aren't? Yeah, like your warehouse workers, people who aren't your executives. And I think it can be very tempting because, you know, we all have blind spots. I have them, you have them, we all have them. It can be very tempting to leave All different kinds of employees from high level executives down to low wage workers to leave them to leave certain people out of the conversation.
4: The other thing I think is is really important here, too, and you mentioned it earlier, Emily, is how even when you get to the upper echelons of your industry, when you have all of that control, It's you, you really have to struggle to get there. So we talked about how, you know, in so many different professions, women are still stereotyped as busy moms. They're seen, they're passed over for promotions. They're seen as, uh, you know, not as, uh, not as committed as male workers. They're not as committed as people who don't have families. There's kind of that hanging question in the air of, you know, well, what if she gets pregnant? What if she does this? Sheryl Sandberg talked about this infamously so that you kind of have to play a lot of games to get to those uh, those upper echelons. Sometimes to get the control, like it's it's weirdly like a it's not a self fulfilling prophecy. What am I trying to say? Mm. It's like you have to not have boundaries to be able to set boundaries. Oh, or yeah, is it a catch twenty two. Catch twenty two is exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah, so it can play in multiple ways. I think. TLDR, like everything that we're saying is that we just kind of need to eliminate the stigma from talking about this stuff that, you know, we need to eliminate the idea that always volunteering to work extra shifts, always uh, pretending like you don't have a personal life isn't sustainable.
2: Yeah. And I think the other theory behind why this might be easier as you go on in your career is because you start to recognize that nobody's going to set those boundaries but you. Yeah. So the, the beginning, I think when I entered the workforce, I was sort of waiting for permission to go home. I was sort of waiting for the end of a semester that was never going to arrive. And it, it made me realize that, oh, if I want to sleep eight hours a night, if I want lunch, I'm the one who has to make that happen. Like, nobody's going to give me the, you've done enough for the day, kid, you know, slap on the back and say,
3: you know, keep keep trucking, champ, take a, take a load off. I would even go further and say, if you're a schmucky company, it's in your best interest to... Uh, Have your employees feel that way and then never give them that permission. If your employees feel like I have to ask when it's okay to go home, I have to ask when I can go to lunch, I have to ask when I can go to the bathroom, all of that. If you're a schmucky company who doesn't give a crap about your employees, it's in your best interest to have them feel that way and have them feel really trapped and like with a complete lack of control over their own day.
4: It's not in their best interest when it comes to employee retention, though. And that's the other piece of this that I think is super important. You know, when I was talking earlier about benefits that women most look for in workplaces, that means that women will leave workplaces that don't offer those benefits. And again, we are talking about women who have the privilege of being able to leave their jobs or being able to change their workplaces. But that's also really important that to retain employees, like to retain top talent, this is what employees are
3: expecting and looking for. Mm -hmm. And this is what they'll value. Do you think the same is true for younger employees, not just women? Totally, totally.
4: I think, uh, you know, that uh, same study I referenced earlier talking about how women were remarking on the ways that their personal lives and their work lives integrate. Zooming out from that, 97% of millennials surveyed said that work-life balance is something that matters to them. That's, I mean, that's... Just three percent shy of a hundred. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, pretty and men, much all of us. I mean, and men report, millennial
2: men especially report desiring more work-life balance than men of mm-hmm. prior generations. It's, it's interesting. And then we see companies like Amazon notoriously go in the opposite direction on their company culture and yahoo you remember back in 2013 when marissa mayer took the helm of yahoo and in doing so eliminated the work from home policies that they had extending flexible work schedules um that ended up having a bunch of working moms up in arms but it wasn't just a blow dealt to working moms. That's the thing. We have to right. acknowledge that this is not good for working dads. It's not good for working people who just want to not work all the time.
3: Again, I would even go further and say it's just not good for anybody. It's not good for the development of the kids that people who are parents have. It's not, it's not healthy for anybody in the mix.
2: Exactly. Jenna McGregor covered this story for The Washington Post, and in it she points out that the whole work-life balance debate has become so inextricably linked to the mommy track debates and the glass ceilings around parental policies. Um, And even though we've replaced the term work-family with work-life in practice, family obligations still tend to trump everything else. Callie Williams-Yost, who is an advisor that she cites in the story, Uh, who consults companies on work-life balance issues, tells the story of a young single employee with no children who asked his company if he could come in late on Thursdays so that he could fit in time for training for a marathon. So this is a childless dude, okay? This is not even, like, a woman who's making this request. And... Oh, yeah, his manager reportedly told him. And I'd like to ride in a hot air balloon every Monday. (laughs) That sarcasm was so disturbing to him, he threatened to quit. And it just goes to show that that flexible work policy is not intended to really apply to single people.
3: But that's the thing. I think it's easy to joke about, you know, oh, I have to get to my yoga class or my softball game or whatever. But it doesn't matter if you're single, married, whatever. If you have kids, you don't. The things that are important to you in your life are the things that are important to you in your life. And we should be respecting that. If you, if your thing is training for a marathon, that should be respected as something that you need to be flexible around if that's what you need to show up as your best self in the job. If it's gonna be you kicking ass at this marathon, I think it's in your employer's best interest to make sure that's something that you have time for the same way that you would for childcare.
2: I don't know. I mean, I think the, the challenge you mentioned earlier, Julia, is that perception is still really powerful. And that advocating for that flexibility, while it should be cool, is not seen as cool all the time. And so I always advise the women I work with to use the term appointment pretty liberally. <laughs> I have an appointment. I have an appointment. I have to... Be somewhere. I have an appointment. Do you need anything from me before I leave? Do you need anything urgent? Am I not getting you something, right? Framing it as what do you need from me to feel like you've gotten everything you need right now because I've got an appointment. In fact, I've got a recurring appointment every Thursday morning. Is that going to be an issue? And then I get my marathon running in. You know what I mean? Like, I think sharing what you need to be sustainable is a luxury not many of us have when it comes to managing perception in the workplace
3: i completely agree julia what
2: do you think
4: i was just about to ask emily where did you learn that i think i've never heard that before about the power of the word appointment oh that's an
2: emily aries original
3: I've, I've actually i've noticed i've seen that show up a lot like i've i'd um when i used to work at msnbc my boss would always say i have an appointment and i'd be like what is this appointment and she'd be like sometimes i'm getting my nails done like you don't yes. know it's my business yeah i don't know i just i i've tested it myself
2: in uh in my work policy i don't know i probably absorbed it from somebody but that's something we should write more about apparently
4: yeah i find that so interesting because there is this uh this split in how we we set up time away from work like i had a former colleague once tell me specifically related to nails bridget she was uh i said something about there was like this manicure deal i wanted to take advantage of or something i can't remember and it was but it was at a weird time like i couldn't leave work on time and what she said was and i thought this was so uh such a good way to put it she said well you never eat lunch away from your desk and i said yeah and she said this is equivalent to you eating lunch away from your desk and i thought oh yeah you're right <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow yeah. so it really
3: is all about reframing that perception and saying yeah Think of it this way. This is just me taking a normal lunch break, even if I do come right. back with a fresh manicure. Yeah. A fresh mani-pedi. <laughs>
4: Right. It. Screen breaks. I'm really big about screen breaks. And the way I think about them all the time is that I actually usually don't eat lunch away from my desk because I think that noon is just a time when I have a lot of stuff going on. But I take screen breaks and those, I mean, it's the same as somebody taking an hour lunch break or whatever. Like you take little screen breaks throughout the day, you go out for coffee, you add all, all of these other things. And they're equivalent to some of the other more instituted time breaks we have scheduled into a typical workday anyway.
3: Julia, can I give you a, a glimpse into where my head is at? I misheard you. I thought you said scream breaks like a break during the work day to scream i was like yeah scream breaks yeah then i was like oh screen breaks that makes a lot more sense but scream breaks could be good too in certain workplaces
4: there's I, I you know i wrote a whole thing about crying maybe i'll next write a thing about screaming it's a real thing maybe that's the next thing
2: there's i was just reading some stress research this concept of like closing the loop on a stress experience needs some sort of expulsion of the stress and it was actually in, um, that Come As You Are book. It was, she was talking about orgasms. I was gonna
3: say, um, that a book about
2: orgasms? But, um, it also, she compared call it. Orgasm research, stress research? Well, it was, she was citing stress research <laughs> in it. her book about orgasms. But she was comparing screaming out loud to the same kind of release that would come with an orgasm. Come so she literally, with an orgasm? Uh, She was literally like, grab a pillow, or like, do this in a way that you're not gonna alarm anybody, and if you're having a really stressful day, do 20 push-ups, or, you know, jumping jacks, or scream the hell out of your pillow. You know what I mean? Just scream bloody murder into your pillow. So I think screen breaks and screen breaks are stress research approved. So to bring this all back to single women and role overload, rapid fire round for all of us here. What do you think that we as individuals or as organizations can do to make personal sustainability accessible
4: to all of us, single folks included? So I think that the biggest opportunity here is with managers and bosses. When they're thinking about retaining talent, the research is really clear when it shows that young people, young women especially, really value flexibility. So thinking about how you can build that into your work processes.
3: I would go on to say cultural shift. No, oh, wow.
4: <laughs> Mine was like, maybe a boss can think one time. And Bridget was like, maybe yeah. we can change Complete
3: culture. overthrow of the economic system is the only thing that will work. <laughs> Burn it to the ground. <laughs> Burn it to the ground, end money, ban men, et cetera. <laughs> no, I think, I think it's cultural shift. I think it's thinking of it as the days that you come in and say, I have an appointment, I need to leave on Thursday – Thinking about that as a tiny little radical win that's going to help shift culture and understanding that that can make it easier for someone else to to do the same thing. And so really owning the role that we all play in this massive culture shift project of making it okay to show up as your best self and to do what you need to do to make that happen.
2: Yes. And I would close it out by saying as someone who advocates for personally taking charge of your own sustainability. I'm tempted to say, you know, give yourself permission to ask for what you need and go for it. But I'm actually going to go in a totally different direction and say, we need systematic policy change. And that is why the final installment in the Roll Overload series is going to be all about what a national crisis role overload actually is and what we as a country, what we as a government can do to level the playing field for all workers so that it doesn't become a mommy war versus a single person war all over again and so that we all can achieve our full potential personally and professionally. So our final installment of the Role Overload series, the next episode you'll hear on this, is going to be with author and think tank policy wonk, Bridget
3: Schulte, all about how we as a country can be better on this. I really can't wait for y'all to hear that final installment. Julia, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can folks find out more about all the cool things you're up to?
4: Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Julia C. Carpenter, and I think I'm actually at Julia C. Carpenter on like everything.
3: (laughs) Good branding.
2: Awesome. And can you tell us a little bit more about the stories you're collecting right now? Because I know our listeners are going to want to get in on that.
4: Yeah, the thing that's been coming to mind again and again as I read all of these uh, stories to come out about sexual harassment and the moment we're in, everything after Me Too and where we're going from here, I keep thinking about how the way we're talking about this is changing. Just the conversations we're having with our friends and our coworkers are so different now than they were, you know, even 10 years ago or going back, you know, even after Anita Hill, like another seminal moment in this discussion. So I've been asking people to share those. With me. I'll report on them in future stories or follow up uh, for further coverage. I am in the process of following up on a story I wrote where I talked to my mom about her own experience of sexual harassment, which again, I just think is another example of, of how these conversations have changed. You know, when my mom was my age, she didn't even know what the word sexual harassment was. She had no way to talk about it. She didn't know how to report an instance of it. She didn't know how to identify it. She just thought that's how the workplace was. But the other side of this, I think is so interesting is looking at moms who are having these conversations with their daughters now and daughters who are having these conversations with their moms, you know, saying, mom, this happened to me and not asking what I should do, but saying this happened to me. I want you to know. Well, Julia, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a blast. Thank you. guys. Can't wait to listen. Awesome. It's good to know
2: that uh, we're not the only single childless women who want a life outside of work. And Sminty listeners, Those with or without romantic partners, those with or without children, we want to hear from
3: you. That's right. We want to hear from all the single ladies, all the single ladies, (laughs) all the single ladies. We want to hear from you.
2: So make sure to continue this conversation with us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Show us what work-life balance means to you or what role overload means to you as a single person on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. And as always, send us your emails at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com.